Welcome to the Inez Franklin Teaching and Sermons Podcast. Inez is a teaching pastor, public speaker, and founder at trochia.org. Learn more about Inez at www.inezfranklin.com. We hope this teaching brings you guidance, connection, or tools as we seek God together today. Enjoy the teaching. season of change here at Mariner's Church. And if you, if you yourself are in a season of change, you know that change sometimes comes with a bag of emotions. Part of you feels like you're excited about what could come. Part of you feels like a little fearful, a little unsettled about what could come. Any of you are in the middle of change right now, in a process, maybe a new job or a new home, right? A new school, a new relationship, a new church. And anytime we're starting something new, we're going to have this sense of unsettledness, and especially when there's a, a new leader, because now a new leader might do things differently, and so that brings a sense of unsettledness. So I am so glad that we had planned long ago to be on this series, Joshua, before we even knew this was coming, which is God at work. One of the things I think I see as I watch Kenton and Eric speak is how much God is in the process and in all of that's happening. And Joshua gives us a beautiful picture of how it is that we ought to walk when we are dealing with uncertainty, when we're going through change. He gives us a sense and a way that we can see, the, see into the future and feel our future is secure, even if circumstances don't work out the way that we want. And so if you have your Bibles, uh, let's just go right there. Joshua chapter 1, verse 2 is where I'm going to start with us today. And the beautiful part of this story is how Joshua, the conversation that God has with Joshua, is going to speak to us today. In verse 2, it says, Now you and all the people prepare to cross over the Jordan to the land I am giving the Israelites. Let me give you a little bit of context. The people of Israel are now at the very edge of the Jordan River. They are about to go into this land that God had promised them. And this promise was given to Moses when they were released from Egypt, but it wasn't just to Moses. Moses was called by God to rescue his people, and we're told in uh, Deuteronomy 21, uh, actually in Exodus, where, where God said to Moses, I, this is my promise to my people, I will take them to a promised land. And so we see that God is, basically it's time for this promise to be fulfilled, and all of these people, over one million people, are right there on the edge of the Jordan River, ready to make the change, ready to take that turn. And on the other side is the unknown. You know, I, I've got to imagine, uh, I've been to Africa and seen the uh, wildlife, which is really quite a cool thing to go do. And one of the things that happens there is you have the migration of the wildebeest, and they have to cross through this particular river, but there are crocodiles in that river. And when they get to this place, they all kind of pile up, and they're really tight with one another, and they're trying to figure out who's first, who's going to go first, you know, who's going to get hurt in the process. And sure enough, some do in the process. So I could picture the people of Israel all piled up together, ready to cross the land with all kinds of anticipation and fear and anxiety and unsettledness. Um, and then not to make that even easier is you've got a brand new leader, now Moses isn't leading them. This is a promise God made to Moses. They have Joshua leading them. In, in Deuteronomy, God 
chose it. It says, God, the Lord commissioned Joshua. And he told Joshua, be strong and courageous for you. You are the one who's going to bring the Israelites into the land that I swore them. So Joshua, you get the job of helping the people of Israel cross through the Jordan, going into the promised land. And you know, when you're going through change, when you're going through the unsettledness of a situation, that is not a really good time to have a new leader, right? It, it, makes feel, it might feel like even more unsettling. And I could picture the people in the crowd going, well, I like Moses better. His face was shiny, you know? Or someone says, well, I like Joshua better. Have you seen him in battle? Or another person might go, I like Caleb. He was always positive. He always saw the best of situations. And so there's division in the crowd because they're looking, who's the next leader? Forgetting that it is God who selected this leader. God knowing that he made them a promise and that he was fulfilling that promise, God knew who that next leader needed to be for this next step. God knows who needs to be our next leader. Kenton has been an amazing leader for the last almost 40 years in this church. And while he's not leaving right away, he's going to be with us for a few more years as they transition. Eric is now our senior pastor, and he's going to take us into a new adventure continuing the work that God has called this church to do. And, you know, this promise that was given to the Israelites, that, again, wasn't a new, a new promise. This promise was given to Moses, but it was also given to Aaron. It's really where it began. The nation of Israel was a nation created by God. No other nation in history ever has been created by God. Nations usually begin by geographical association. But this nation was a people created by God. He told Abraham, an old man, you're going to have descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, as numerous as the sand in the sea. And this is an older man and an older woman who had not been able to have children all their lives, way past childbearing. But God's promise was fulfilled. And not only did they have one child, but through that child, a whole nation was born. And God's intention with this nation is that they would be a, a special nation, that God would bless this nation, and through this nation, the whole world would be blessed. And they required of them to have an intimate relationship with God. He would be their God. They would be his people. But time and time and again, they rebelled and they grumbled. And sure enough, as soon as Moses took them out of Egypt, they grumbled. Time and time again, they found themselves enslaved first enslaved to Egypt for 400 years. They cry out to God. God sends Moses. Moses rescues them. God does incredible miracles. And the minute they're on the other side, they're grumbling because they don't like the food. They don't like to eat manna and quail every day. Well, I guess I wouldn't either. But God was with them. And God did not stop his promise simply because they were unfaithful. God remained faithful. And that promise was going to stay. Why? Because that promise that God made the people of Israel is the same promise he makes you and I. That promise started way back in Genesis. When God created man and woman in his own image, where did he place them? In the garden. He gave them the promised life, life to the fullest, relationship with him, all the provisions that they were needed, God's presence and protection and love and care. So they had everything, but they still rebelled. And so God 
had to do something about that. And now people are broken and sinful. God continued on his plan to give the promised life through Jesus Christ. Everything in the Bible, it's one big story of God's redemption story, his promise to bring life, life to the fullest, to every man, woman, child in past, present, and future. That's God's one plan. And while in the process of this plan being fulfilled, there's all kinds of twists and turns and a variety of leaders, God's plan does not change. In Jeremiah 29, one of those passages everybody loves, it's another season when Israel was being rebellious and they ended up in captivity under the Babylonians. And there again, they cry out to God and God tells them, look, I have plans for you. And you've heard this passage, plans to prosper you, to give you a future and a hope. I have plans for you. My plan has not changed, even though you've been rebellious. And while it took 70 years before they were rescued from the Babylonians, God continues to keep up with his promise and do exactly what he promises to do. So no matter what we do, no matter how we go sideways, and boy, I've done it myself, God's always pursuing you and I to rebuild and reconnect us with his promise. He wants to give us the promised life. We have an enemy who wants to do the absolute opposite. And we have to be sure that we stay connected to God. So Joshua, in this part of the, the letter or the whole book, is going to give us a roadmap towards this promised life. If you feel like you're in this place of insecurity, I pray that these words are a reminder to you that God is still the God who makes promises. Malachi tells us God cannot change. Hebrews tells us God cannot lie. It's impossible for God to lie. His word is as good as done. And so when he says something, he promises something, he fulfills those promises. Amen? All right, so let's look at the first step. Trust in God's provision. Verse 3, it says, I have given you every place where your sole of your foot treads, just as I promised Moses. So he tells his people, look, I've already given you the land that I have promised. Now, you know, I'm thinking they're on the side of the Jordan. The promised land is over there, and they're going, what do you mean, God? I'm still standing over here. I don't see that yet. But what I see in this picture, and in verse 2, it says, I will give you, here he says, I have already given you, is that picture that when God says something, it's done. You remember in creation, God created the heavens and the earth. He said, let there be light. And what happened? There was light. With his very own words, things happen. And so God is saying to his people, look, I will give you this land, and you need to know I've already given it to you. I've done it. When I say I'm doing, I'm already in the process of doing, the plan is already at work. If you're in the middle of a difficult situation and you feel like God has promised you a way through this situation, but you're not out yet, do remember this. God is already at work to accomplish the purposes he has promised. He finishes what he promises. He does accomplish it in his timing, in his wisdom, by his power. So he tells his people, I am the one who provides, trust me. Trust me that all that you need, I will give you. I am giving, I have already given. That's the first thing he tells his people, which is why Paul can say this in Philippians 4. He says, my God 
will supply all of your needs according to the riches of his glory in Jesus Christ. God provides us all that we need. Not all that we want, right? But all that we need. That's the first point. The second step is that we are to believe in God's protection. The people of Israel already had heard about this land they're about to enter. A few guys long ago, 40 years ago, had entered into this land, and they came back with a report. One of those guys was Joshua, another was Caleb, and a few other guys. And when they came back, they said, man, there is wonderful land. There's, there's great harvest. We will do great. We will eat wonderfully. But there are these people over there. There are these giants. They are well-equipped. They have better weapons than we do. They have fortified cities. How are we possibly going to conquer this land? They far outnumber us, and they are wiser than we are. The Israelites, by the time they enter the, the land, they were under 60 years old. A whole generation died before they could enter into the promised land. So he had these young people with this leader, Joshua, maybe in his 70s, entering against a massive army, well-equipped, well-protected. And so God is telling them, look, I will be with you. Verse 5, none will be able to stand against you as long as you live. I will be with you just as I was with Moses. I will not leave you or abandon you. Would you say that together with me? I will not leave you or abandon me. Three times, twice in this passage, once in verse 9, God tells them, I will be with you. Don't be afraid of what's coming. I will be with you. And you know, the way I, the best I can think about this is when I worked as a chaplain at Chalk, and I entered into these rooms in the hospital where a family was going through the worst kind of situation you could imagine. A child dealing with cancer or some awful disease, a terrible diagnosis. Or when I've mentored people or walked with people or pastored people who've gone through a terrible crisis or a terrible loss, the first thing I would think about is like, what could I possibly offer these people? Like, what could I say? Have you found yourself like that? You're lost of like what to do, what to say when you're facing terrible suffering. But I remember my supervisor saying to me, Inez, your role is simply to be present. Your presence is most important of all. Just be, just be with the family. Be with them. Don't say anything if you don't have to. Be. God says, I am with you. Loneliness is on an increase. I just read an article about this. So many people expressing a deep sense of loneliness. And I think if that's you, if you're, if you're experiencing terrible loneliness, maybe you need to hear that today. I will never leave you or abandon you. God is with you. And then to me, that's kind of like this sense of when you were a kid, you know, and you talked to another kid and they were bullying, you go, you know, my daddy is bigger than yours. Or my daddy is better than yours, right? I did not grow up with a dad, but I did have my mom's uncle. And once in a while, he showed up to school. When he did, I was like, yeah, my uncle is bigger than yours, you know? Think about your problems. Think about what's before you, what's challenging you, what's overwhelming you, what's, what's scaring you right now, what's giving you anxiety, what's keeping you up at night, whatever that problem is. Take a good look in the face of this problem. 
I'll tell it. My daddy is better than yours. Come on, go ahead, say it. My daddy is better than yours. God is with you. And there is nothing, nothing, as he tells them, nothing can stand against you because your daddy, your heavenly father, is with you. And once in a while, we have to remind our problems who think the problems are bigger, that our God is bigger. You have to have a little conversation with your problem going, you ain't nothing, man. My God is greater than you. We've got to do that, right? God told the Israelites, I will go ahead of you like a consuming fire. God went ahead of the people of Israel, taking care of whatever was in the way. We're going to see that as we read the letter of Joshua. We're going to see God going ahead of the people as long as they stayed with them and remembered he was with them. In fact, this is what Psalm 18 says, my Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God, my rock, where I seek refuge. You get the picture. The Lord is my rock, my shield, and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. That's the attitude that the people of Israel needed to have as they were going up to the promised land. That's the attitude you and I need to have when we're up against any challenge in life. No matter how big, no matter how awful, no matter how overwhelming, God does not change. Amen? All right, the third point, follow God's path. God tells Joshua these words, above all, meaning above the fact that I provide and I protect, above all, be strong and very courageous to observe carefully the whole instruction my servant Moses commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left so that you will have success wherever you go. This book of instruction must not depart from your mouth You are to meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to observe everything written. For then you will prosper and succeed in whatever you do. This is the one part of this story where now we get to do something. Because so far we've heard God is the one who provides. God is the one who protects. And now God says to his people, okay, you've got a part in this. Here's your job. Be strong and courageous. How many of you heard this before? Maybe even love this passage, strong and courageous, right? And usually we think, be strong and courageous, and it's a command, so we think, all right, power up, muscle up, guys, right? Get machismo going, pull up the muscles, pump them up, right? Come on, I'm ready. You know, get your stand going. Girls, take off the earrings, pull down the hair, let's go, get the nails out. We think, we think that's what be strong and courageous is. Fill up the tank with some more power. That's what it's going to take. But, you know, we miss, we miss the point when we translate in English. Let me tell you the two words for strong and courageous in Hebrew and what they mean. For strong, the word is hazak. And that word stands for making secure, making firm, tying down, binding. Right? It's a different picture, isn't it? It's not powering up, it's anchoring down, which when you do kind of power up, what's the first thing you do? You plant your feet. It's like anchor down, anchor down. The the second word, courageous, is amatz, and that word means make it even stronger, make it very secure, very solid, very hard. So take your stand hard. And the best way I can picture it is buckle up. You know, when you get in your car, what do you do? You put on your seatbelt. You put your seatbelt so that you don't fly out of the car if somehow you end up in a collision. 
You don't hit some sort of part of your car with your body. Buckle up, God says. Buckle up because we're about to go on a ride. And you need to be anchored or something or you're going to be flying out in the wrong direction. If you get on an airplane and you tell the stewardess, I'm good, I'm special, I don't need the seatbelt, got this. Do you think they're going to go for that? Not so much. You'll end up in some YouTube viral video (laughs) while you're in prison. Everybody will be watching your humiliation as you're escorted off the plane. God's saying, buckle up. Buckle up. You will need this. That's why Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 6, put on the whole armor of God. What does he begin with? The belt of truth. Buckle up. Buckle up to God's truth. He says, what are we exactly anchoring ourselves in? What are we powering up into? And that is the instruction of God. The truth that comes only from God. God gave Moses and the people of Israel the Ten Commandments. The number one, have no other God other than me. I am your God. There's only one God. I am your God. You are my people. Go nowhere else. Buckle up with me. And there's no place you can't go with me. There is no enemy big enough against because I'm with you. So buckle up, he tells his people. Follow my instruction. And there's a promise with that. Hey, here it is, the prosperity gospel at Meredith's Church. He says, then you will prosper and succeed. No, it's not the prosperity gospel. This is not having to do with money. Again, these words in Hebrew gives us a better picture. The word for prosper, these words are going to sound very similar, but there are two words. The word for prosper is salach. And salach means to rush, to advance, to break through. So to prosper means to be able to break through, right? And then to succeed is sakal. And that means to wisely understand, to understand, to be circumspect, to, uh, to have wise understanding. Now put them together. Imagine this. If you buckle up on the truth of God, if you anchor yourself on God's instruction, you will break through with wisdom whatever is before you. So that's what he's saying to us. Follow my instruction. You will break through whatever is before you. Maybe you needed to hear that today. Maybe that clarity helps you trust God even more. That in your weakness, God is strong. And he will give you wisdom through it. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Remember, that's what Peter had to do when there was a storm and Jesus came about them, and Peter says, is that you, Jesus? He goes, yes. He goes, can I come to you? He goes, absolutely. Peter walks on water. Why? Because he was fixing his eyes on Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus. You will accomplish and get through what you could have never imagined getting through. Those are the three things that Joshua teaches us. And lastly, in verse 10 and 11, he reminds us that we must do this together. Then Joshua commanded the officers of the people, go through the camp and tell the people, get provisions ready for yourselves. For within three days, you, and that you is plural, meaning all of you will be crossing the Jordan to go in and take possession of the land your Lord your God is giving you to inherit it. God has given you a promise. He's about to deliver it, but you must go together. It's a collective you in Jeremiah 29, what God says, I promise 
to prosper, to give, have plans for you to prosper, to have a future, to have a hope. That you is plural. It's community. We get to do that together. He wants us to go at this adventure as one body. As Jesus says, we are one body. Each of us with our parts, we are one body. We go at it together. That's why we at Mariner's Church bug you so much about being in a small group. Because while we build community here, and we do, you guys have great friendships here. You have great peeps, and we're getting to do these amazing, wonderful opportunities to bless each other in this journey. We can't grow the same way in these rows as we could if we were in smaller communities, in circles. And that's why we are constantly talking to you about joining Rooted. And Rooted started today at 11 o'clock, and you, you might have missed it today, but that's okay. You can join next Sunday if 11 o'clock works for you. Or you can start this Tuesday. Either way, if you've never done Rooted, get into a small group. Let's go on this adventure together. Let's know about God. Let's know about each other. Let's, let's do service together. Let's pray together. Let's be one, one body. Because when you feel weak, a brother or sister will be able to encourage you. When you feel like you have questions, when you feel like you've gone through something awful, a brother and sister, a group can come around you. The point of Rooted is to then go into a life group. And if you're in a life group, you know this, that you get to do life with other people. It's not that you're together for life. You get to do life together. And that means you get to be real with someone. You get to be known. They get to know you. And that's why we keep pounding that on you. And not, not because we're like, this is what you got to do, but because we know, we know the God, word of God tells us we must do it in community. And if you're not in a life group and you've already done Rooted, you can do Rooted again, or you can join the serious groups because sometimes those groups turn into life groups. And if that doesn't work, in your bulletin you have a card that you can fill out to join a life group. Do you see how passionate we are about this? All kinds of ways for you to take a first step towards community. We don't want you to be alone. God is with you, and we are with you. We want to stand with you. We want you to stand with us. That's the whole point of this group. So in summary, this is what we learned from Joshua today. Trust in the Lord's provision. Believe in God's protection. Follow his path. Be strong and courageous and go together. We don't do it alone. Now, as we respond to what God is telling us today, what step do you need to take today? Which one of those steps is calling you to go deeper? Earlier at the 9 o'clock service, a young woman gave her life to God for the first time. She'd never walked with Jesus. She said, I want to walk with Jesus. So that was her first step. Maybe you've already done that. Maybe your step is, okay, God, I'm not trusting in your provision. Or I'm not following your instruction. Or I'm not in community. So when we respond to God, one of the things we do here at the chapel is we create space for you to have a conversation with God. And every station is a place for you to talk to God. At the cross, we go to talk to God about maybe we're following our own instruction, our own desires, our own addictions, our own brokenness, our own selfishness. And we need to confess that and say, God, I want to follow and trust your instruction. Thank you for dying for these sins. Would you help me live a life of wisdom? Would you anchor me in your truth? 
and not in the lies of the enemy. We, we have the candles to be reminded of the hope that has been promised to us. And God is a God of redemption. He is never going to stop until that promise is absolutely fulfilled when Jesus comes back. Jesus is the light of the world. That promise stays. And we light this candle to be reminded of that truth, maybe to pray for others who have yet to know who Jesus is. We have the elder right up front, the prayer team around the room for you to have a conversation with others, to be in community, to pray for wherever you feel with, to pray for what you're celebrating, to ask God to help you in your season of challenge. And of course, the table of communion, which I love because this is like Christmas and Easter at a table. Let me tell you why. The bread represents the body of Christ. God, not a distant God, but a close-up God, a God who went into the fire with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when Nebuchadnezzar wanted to kill him. God was there with them. God is there with you in the middle of your fire. He's not distant. He's close, and he proved that through his son, Jesus Christ. He came down to be like us, to experience what we experience, that he might bring us life. And so we know through the bread that God is near and that God gave Jesus his body up for us that we might have life. And then the cup representing Easter, that Jesus paid it all for our sin, that we could not, we cannot moral our way up to God. We cannot be good enough. We've tried. I've tried. It doesn't work. Only God can pay the price for our sins. And he is the one who can make us good through his mercy and his grace. And the blood washes us and God looks at us as blameless. And Jesus is as alive as ever. And we have access to life to the fullest through him. So there you go. We get to experience Christmas and Easter every time we take communion. And we get to converse with the Lord. And lastly, the offering boxes in the back, a place where we're reminded of God's provision. Maybe that's the step you need to take today. God, you are the one who provides. So I'm going to give from what you give me. And remember, even that came from you. So I don't know the conversation you need to have today. Get up and go to any station. There's, go ahead, make a holy disorder. Go where God's calling you, where he wants to talk to you, and then come back to your seats so we can worship together as a community. Go ahead. Thank you again for listening. Make sure to learn more about Inez Franklin at www.inezfranklin.com. You can help share these teachings by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts and sending this episode to a friend. Make sure to follow Inez Franklin on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and more, where she is engaging with the community and inviting us to participate with God and his work together. Thanks again. Thanks again.